What brings a community together? Shared insights? Shared conversations? Welcome to Open Door by Cox Communities, tackling the big questions on the minds of smart community business leaders. Welcome to the first ever episode of Open Door by Cox Communities. Here, we're helping you or anyone in the multifamily residential world make the best decisions for your residents and to discover the latest trends and technologies that are allowing multifamily business owners to stand out. Hi, I'm your host, Bess Friedman, CEO of Brown Harris Stevens. On this show, you can look forward to my interviews with strategists, thought leaders, and experts as we discuss the quickly evolving multifamily residential landscape. Today's episode is all about the latest trends. Joining me to discuss what's resonating with today's business owners is Cox Communications VP of Customer Insights, Brian Stifel. He helps us explore latest in customer experience, how the pandemic has affected the multifamily landscape, and what we can expect for the future. So let's get to it. Here's Brian Stifel. Hi, Brian. How are you? Great to have you here. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Well, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about your role as VP of Customer Insights at Cox Communities? Sure. Happy to. The easiest way to describe my job is that I make sure that the voice of the customer and the needs of the customer are taken into account in every big decision that we make as a company. So put simply, my job is to make sure that the customer has a seat at the table. So what that means we do is we are listening all the time, always making sure that we know what the consumer is thinking and feeling. And then our job is to make sure that our leaders feel that empathy and factor that in. Wow, very important. Can you tell me a little bit about what do you mean when we say customer experience in a multifamily residential context? Sure. I mean, obviously, when you say customer experience, we all you know, know what that means, say, in a, you know, in a retail context or a business context. And it's really not any different here. I mean, customer experience is all about how it feels to live at this particular property. It's the sum of all the perceptions that people have from from every interaction they have there. So that includes, you know, the business side of it. How, how does it feel to do business with that property manager? That's everything from dealing with the leasing office, how it feels to move in or move out, to pay your rent every month when you need to access maintenance, all those experiential things that the property manager is directly in control of. But customer experience is more than that. It's also how it feels to interact with the physical space and to interact with the people in that community. So that can be the layout of the unit or the features and the technology that are in the unit. It can be the amenities that are offered on the grounds. And then maybe the hardest one for the property manager to deal with, it's also their neighbors. It's all the people they live with and around. All of that affects the customer experience. Brian, share with me a little bit about how you've seen resident expectations change over the years, even before the pandemic hit. 
Yeah, this one's been really interesting. Obviously, we track consumer perceptions. We track how people are feeling. We look at big things like the, you know, what's going on in the zeitgeist, if you will. But but we're also very focused on what's going on in our category and how we make sure that that we're keeping up with people's connected lifestyles. So when you talk about expectations changing, we've been watching those expectations shift even before the pandemic as people's connected lifestyles were changing. And at the center of it for our business is the role of the internet in their lives. And the, and the, the currency of the internet um, has been and remains speed. And it's, it's not so much speed as a number. Oh, I have to have some specific, you know, specific number and that number has to keep going up is it's much more conceptual than that. It's the notion that I have to have all of the speed I need for everything in my life today and all the things you know I'm going to need in the future. So it's about keeping me up to date and enabling me to live that lifestyle. There's also an urgency to it. So when we think about multifamily, very much about being ready to be connected on move-in day. And that connection has to work everywhere. It has to work in every space in the unit. It has to work all over the community. But it's not just connectivity. It's also what that connectivity enables in my life. And so what am I plugging into it? And you think about all the smart technology that people care about now and what that does for their lives. People are looking for peace of mind and they're looking for control. And so how they use that connectivity to to enable those things. But then it goes even bigger than that. It, it's the service that we provide uh, is all about giving people freedom and flexibility, uh, and they want it with the least amount of effort possible. You think about, about how people's expectations are changing. Their expectations aren't just driven by, uh, by what we do or by what a property manager would do. They're driven by all of the major brands in their life and how those brands are enabling their life. So you think about, you think about a brand like Amazon and how that has redefined what it means to be frictionless or a brand like Apple, which defines simplicity. Uber or Lyft have created this sense of of immediacy. You, you get a brand like Spotify. That's that's all about personalization. So you think about all, all of those out-of-category brands. Those brands have nothing to do with the design of, of an apartment or a condominium, but all of those brands are creating expectations for people. How should technology work? How should it feel to do business today? How should it feel to live and work? And so all of those expectations shape then how we have to show up and how our property management clients have to show up. You know, technology has made us all much more efficient so that we it empowers our relationships so that we can get back to people in a quicker way. Everything is a bit more seamless. We all have to, you know, get with the times and reassess how we do everything. But the pandemic certainly affected trends and customers' expectations. Specifically for you, share with us a little bit about that, how you saw it affect customers' expectations, the pandemic. Yeah. The great thing about trends is that they aren't fads. They don't come and go. They stretch over long periods of time. And so there are trends that were going on before the pandemic and that will be continuing long after. And there are several of them that that we have been 
watching over the last several years and then watching how they were they were influenced by the pandemic trends related to people's sense of security and well-being and whether they feel more or less secure and where that comes from uh, we've been looking at people's attitudes towards technology and attitudes towards their home and living and of course the intersection between those things and really how how people want to live and what we found during covid was so interesting it the trends themselves didn't change what changed was the pace of adoption we really saw the acceleration of a lot of these trends a great example of that in my mind we we, we talk about the sense of security that people feel is this notion of risk aversion in my field we we really started looking at risk aversion now more than more than 10 years ago you you, you look back at the economic crisis that happened in 2007 2008 2009 it really shook people's sense of in that case financial security safety and well-being and at that time things got all sort of out of whack on people's people's feelings of security but then coming out of that crisis we saw this really long steady state where the population was split in their attitudes about risk and remarkably split 50-50 kind of like a lot of things i guess that we see in in society today about half of people really very risk averse more risk averse more looking for ways to to create safety or or to mitigate and and the other half of people much more willing to take those risks and for the last decade we've been watching and that 50-50 split has just held constant really for all of those 10 years and then all of a sudden march of 2020 covid hits and it completely threw it out of whack we track this on a monthly basis and over the last you know more than a dozen months we saw just wild wild swings and at the height of the pandemic that 50-50 mix had pivoted all the way to a 75-25 which is that 75% of the people were were much more risk averse and it really forced everybody to rethink what's their own definition of an acceptable level of risk and then of course as the pandemic conditions kept changing things started opening up then they weren't people went back to work then they didn't it all forced a lot of consideration and and reconsideration of that risk well the pandemic was uncharted territory for so many i mean the whole world was in a new it was a new day we didn't know what to expect it's a little it's different than a financial crisis which we've lived through so many of them and that's economics. But when it comes to your health, I think that threw the world out of whack. Wouldn't you say everybody was trying to figure out what to make of it? Well, it absolutely did. And we always had a sense of physical safety in the sense of, you know, we had things like, you know, seatbelt laws and helmet laws. And, you know, people were very conscious that, you know, public spaces needed to be made safe from accidents or safe from, you know, fire hazards. People have been comfortable with the idea of sort of physical risk for a long time. What COVID did was it introduced a whole different kind of risk. And that's the risk of being touched and the risk of breathing somebody else's air. And so that we would call that hygiene risk different from, you know, sort of pure physical harm. It was the invisible 
risk that goes with hygiene. And that one was really a new one for people. And they had to figure out, you know, what were their new definitions? What were the things that they were the most comfortable with? And, and that's manifest in some very interesting expectations for then how you do business with brands and certainly implications for our property management clients. You think about if people want their physical environment to be safe, what does that mean? It means they want to know that it's clean, but also that it continues to be cleaned. And the the definition of clean in a public space has gone up. People are looking not just for dirt, but for, you know, germs, you know, sanitizing, if, if you will. Much more expectation that that as many things as possible be contactless, right? I don't want to have to touch something that someone else has touched, right? I was just in a hotel uh, a couple of days ago, and I was very conscious of the fact that, you know, I didn't... I didn't want to pick up the the remote. I wasn't sure when it would be clean. And then the hotel called me on the room phone. I had to pick up the phone. I didn't want to touch the thing. So the sense of of the physical. And so you think about how that manifests very specifically in, you know, in an MDU environment. Think about how we tour units. Who's Who's been in that model unit before the one I went in or the unit I'm going to walk in? Or if I already live there, Who's allowed to come in? Is maintenance going to come in? Is that person going to touch things in my house? Am I going to know what they touched? And you think about the public spaces as well, whether it's the gym or the pool or the clubhouse or the dog park or whatever, all, all the things that we took for granted, you know, about our willingness to, to be in, in physical contact and physical proximity to other people. And whether it's touching things, whether it's breathing the air, or uh, how much personal space I'm going to have relative to other people, folks have changed their definitions. And that's really what we mean by risk aversion. It's not that most people are completely checking out of those kinds of experiences. I mean, there's a handful, but, but, but most folks are recognizing that this has to be an ongoing lifestyle. They can't just, you know, quarantine or sequester themselves. The question then is, what are the actions we have to make or the signals we have to send that are going to make people feel safe in that environment. Yeah, I mean, it's a different mindset, I think, I would argue, when it comes to living, you know, in the cities, in in apartment buildings. Like, I live in an apartment building in New York City. And during the pandemic, people were really panicked, much more so than the suburbs, because in the suburbs, you own the entirety of your home and you're in control of the space what's coming in and what's coming out. But like my building, I get in an elevator and I can be in there with 20 people or I'm in the common air. I have to be with people to get out. There's a doorman, there's, you know, and so we had to think about it differently. You know, everything was getting sanitized. There's a limit to people going in the elevators, how many can go in, who can go in the gym, you, you know, so everything had to be reconsidered as you just articulated. It's a whole new mindset. Well, and that's exactly right. And it changes your sense of, as the brand, or in this case, if you're running the building, it changes your sense of responsibility. How do you make those spaces safe? How do you signal to the residents that they're safe? But it also, it changes the norms of the community. All of us had to be conscious of what did we have to do, right, to make our neighbors feel safe as well. That gets back to the whole notion of the experience. If I live you know, in an apartment building or a condo, my actions don't just affect me, they affect right, all of my neighbors. And so what we do to cultivate a community norm that in- enables everybody to be individuals and live with their own risk tolerance, but at the same time, 
to have a certain baseline level of respect for everyone else around them. It's a tricky needle that the property owners will have to to thread now, particularly as the divergence in people's risk tolerance changes as we come out of the pandemic. And also it's still, you know, we're still learning. We're still in a very much a learning phase. We have nothing to refer back to, to say, oh, that, you know, we're still trying to figure things out and new information comes up all the time, which makes us alter how we're doing things. So as you said, you know, change is the one constant and that certainly applies to the pandemic. I think we're all trying to figure out what's the best way and how to do things when we're in tight living communities. No, that's that's exactly right. And I think what we found when we've looked at the bigger picture is most people get it. Most people understand that this is highly contextual and so you have to pivot as the context changes, I think the the watch out, and a, a lot of us have gotten this in particular from you know, from government decision makers, but also uh, we've seen this in a lot of company settings, and we've seen this in retail settings. Is people are looking for consistency. So even if things are going to change because the conditions have changed, they'd like the rationale for those changes to be consistent. So. When we lean more into safety and security or when we lean out of it, that we're doing it by a set of rules that everybody can feel anchored to. So so it's that interesting balance between a consistent approach, but the flexibility to apply that specifically in the moment. Such a good point. I agree. I think that makes everybody feel more comfortable. As you said, it's like an anchor So besides risk aversion, what are some of the other trends a multifamily business owner listening to this podcast could respond to immediately to see an improvement in their customer experience? I think there's a couple that we've been looking at that I think are interesting for our multifamily clients. One of them we have coined as hybrid life. The other one we call home as a hub. So hybrid life. What are we really talking about there? It's this notion that people are looking for kind of a new way of living, a new way of working. We we start out asking people these very big, high-level conceptual questions about life and how they feel about life, what do they want in their life. More than half of people are telling us that they want their life to change significantly compared to what it was pre-pandemic. They say they don't want to go back to the way things were before COVID. So you, that's, that's kind of a big, big idea. So you start to break that down with them and say, well, what aspects of your life, you know, is it that you want to be different? And most people start with how they work. And for a big chunk of the population, the biggest change by far in COVID was that they started working from home. The best that we could tell, you know, lots of different statistics out there from our own tracking, the best we could tell before the pandemic Three out of 10 people said that they were at least sometimes, if not always, working from home. So just under a third of the population had some amount of work from home in their life. At the height of the pandemic, that had doubled. We had nearly 60% had at least one person in the house who was either working from home or learning from home or both. So huge behavior change, right? Doubled uh, the size of the population that went through that. And then what happened when it when it started to scale back is that people's expectations have changed. And now we have fully half of the population that say that they expect to work from home at least part of the time. 
And the latest stat we saw, we had more than four out of 10 who said, if my employer made me come to work full time, I would go and look for another job. So, so, so this sense that people want to spend some time at a physical office and some time working out of their home, I, I, I think is pretty pervasive and is likely to stay. I just want to interrupt you for a second. Do you think that that is a good cultural shift that people start working, I don't know, half the time from home and then half the time in the office? Do you think that would make sense? Well, I think that it works it has proven to work really well for a lot of people. The sense of balance they feel in their lives because they are not fighting the commute, because they are not having to create these solid lines of demarcation between their home life and their work life. When they're able to merge the two, they can create a lot more balance. It's true of how they take care of themselves physically, whether that's eating or exercise. It's true of their ability to manage things that have to happen during the day. It's true of their ability to focus and concentrate. They don't have to be, you know, at work solidly working the whole time. They can spread things out more. So there's been, there's been a lot of evidence that it's made people's lives a lot better, particularly as the pandemic has eased, I think in the height of it, when, when people were really physically at risk and people had to isolate and quarantine, it was a less healthy circumstance. You had people who were by themselves and suffering from the, the challenges of, of isolation. You had people who couldn't physically touch, you know, uh, their loved ones. And so they were missing a lot of the things that make life worth living. But if you if you fast forward to a post-pandemic world in which you can get out and about, in which you can see and interact with and hug and love the people that you that you care about, there's pretty good evidence that this creates a better mental health situation, a better, better sense of balance for people in their lives. I mean, listen, everybody, we have to see, we still have some more time to sort of sort itself out. But you know, I think that once it's safe and people go out, I'm of this different school in the sense that I think it's really important that people get out of their home and get to work and be in an environment because when they don't go to work, they're not supporting the little restaurant to where they buy their salad. They're not supporting all the businesses. They're not riding the subway. They're not. And also it's sort of mindset. I think you have a different mindset when you're in a professional environment, whereas when you're at home, I think that can lead to depression, overeating, being lazy. Not always. I just, I feel strongly that the lines are better when you are going to work and coming home and then maybe having some flexibility when need be. But I think we have to be very careful, Brian, not to become... <laughs> a society that, you know, starts to work from home too much. I don't, I wouldn't encourage that, but that's just my opinion. Well, no, I think you make a very valid point. And I go back to what we called the trend, which is hybrid life. The idea is, I think that where before the paradigm was, I'm at work, you know, 40 plus hours a week, and then I'm at home the rest it's just more of a mixture and the notion that those two worlds can be interconnected much more than they have been before. I think the notion of completely eliminating 
you know, the workplace. I don't think most of the population is there. I think most people who have worked in workplaces recognize the benefits. You talked about the community benefits and the, the economic benefits. For sure, those are true. There's also a very significant social and cultural benefit. If all we do at work is push that little red join and leave button all day long, and you don't ever talk to people, you don't ever get to know people, your relationships become very transactional. And of course, the risk that these brands feel is not only will their employees not feel any real sense of emotional connection to the company, but there's the risk that they won't project that humanity or that emotional connection you know, into their customers. And so I, I think we, we all recognize, and certainly we at Cox are very conscious of the importance of culture in order for us to be uniquely Cox to our clients. It has to mean something to be part of this particular community. And we can't achieve that if we aren't together, at least some of the time. No, I agree. I always, I would say this all the time. I would say you can't build culture on a Zoom. I mean, you know, you got to get in the room with people, talk to them, share food together, laugh, understand when they're going through a hard time, look at the expressions on their face, hug, talk. I mean, it's all those interactions are what, you know, the good, the bad, all the stuff we go through together is how we build strong ties and build trust with each other. So that's exactly right. Everything taken to the extreme usually produces a negative outcome. So when people were working too many hours and all of those hours were at the office and they were completely ignoring their personal lives, that produced its own set of challenges. And certainly if people were to turn themselves into shut-ins or, or, you know, to completely cocoon, that would cause a problem in the opposite direction. And so I think balance is for sure a watchword in all of this. But, you know, for the property manager, there's just no question that more folks are going to want to spend a certain percentage of their time working from home. And for that matter, a certain percentage of a lot of other activities that they used to do out. Much more retail is happening at home. Much more physical exercise is happening at home. More and different kinds of entertainment are happening at home. And so while while we don't want to encourage people not to leave, what we do want to do is make sure we Cox are putting the technology and the services into communities that we're helping our property management clients do the same to enable people to have the lifestyle that they want to have. And Brian, I assume implications, you know, for the units themselves, is that what you mean by home as the hub? Yeah, let's talk about that one. It's definitely yeah. related, right, to the hybrid life. And this was something we were watching. This was something that we were already seeing happening in the single family world. And it's now playing out in the multifamily world as well. And that's just the notion that people want to accomplish a lot of things in their homes. And at first, you know, we saw it manifesting in homes getting bigger. Square footage was getting bigger. Floor plans were getting thought of differently because people needed space to do everything. I think what we're seeing now is a little bit of a pivot in that trend. It's less about absolute square footage and more about flexibility. The people want their space to be able to accommodate a lot of different needs 
and for the space to be easily reconfigured to enable different activities at different times. So less about dedicated spaces and more about flexible spaces, whether that's a space that lets me work, a space that lets me exercise, a space that lets me learn, a space that lets me entertain, and so forth. Yeah, we saw, it's interesting because uh, specifically in New York City, we saw a lot of movement, you know, people selling apartments and buying new space that accommodated if they wanted outdoor space or they could have a home office or, you know, I have friends who shared with me who are renters for six or seven years here in New York City. And during the pandemic, they started to scratch their head a little bit. And they said, you know, we wanted to make changes. We wanted to build shelves. We wanted to do a bunch of different things. And we realized that we couldn't do the things we wanted to do. So they purchased something that would allow them to create all the things that they wanted. And I think the pandemic forced a lot of people to reassess how they lived and what mattered to them in their floor plan, as you said. Exactly. And when we talk about what matters to people, it doesn't even matter if they actually engage in these behaviors. So how many hours are they actually going to work from home or how much are they going to ride that new bike or use that new treadmill? What's important is that they believe they will. It's a mindset shift and it that mindset shift translates into a very specific set of criteria for what's going to make this home the home that they want. And so we we try to lean into those needs. The thing we try to do is we try to get underneath them and say, okay, well, well, what are they trying to accomplish when they do all of these things? How is it that they want to think and feel? And the things that we've been picking up on the most, there's two big feelings that have, I think, again, come to light and been, been accelerated as part of this home is a hub trend. People want to feel in control and they want to feel safe. So part of being in control is, you know, am I in control of myself and how I'm able to spend my time? Am I in control of my physical space and how I'm interacting with it? Do I feel safe in the space? And it's manifest in some interesting demand. So we, again, had already been watching sort of where was the idea of the smart home or home automation going? How do we feed into people's connected lives? But when you talk about that intersection between control and safety, it plays out in demand growing for some very specific sort of devices and services, very specific use cases. People want cameras. Cameras used to be about seeing bad guys and there's still that, but now it's about being able to see what's going on in my house when I'm not in my house. It's about locks and how I can control them to let people in and out. It's about how I control the energy in my house. It's how I control the environmental conditions in my house. Do I want to, do I want to not just change the temperature, but do I want to, you know, change the lighting? Do I want to open and close windows and doors and curtains and so forth? And then it's about hygiene. We've seen an increase in demand for the kind of technology that helps me keep my home clean and safe, whether that's lighting that can kill germs, whether that's systems that can be built into the HVAC that do it. So so this combination of give me that peace of mind that comes from knowing that I'm safe and then help me keep in control even when I am not in the home. Great. 
And Brian, I'm going to ask you for a little bit of your expert advice. What do you suggest for staying ahead of the curve when it comes to meeting customer expectations? My team gets this question a lot. Folks that work in our field get this question a lot because people um, think that we're um, you know, sort of futurists or trying to stay a step ahead. And the magic is not being a prognosticator. You know, it's not for people old enough on this call to remember how, you know, Johnny Carson used to wear a turban on his head and, you know, imagine what the answer to the question was going to be. It's, it's, it's not about predicting the future. What we do is we listen and we observe. And you can figure out a remarkable amount of things uh, just by paying attention to what's going on right now. There is no need to guess what your customer, in this case for our listeners, what their residents are thinking or feeling. All you have to do is ask them. They will tell you what's working for them and what isn't. They'll tell you what's going on in their lives. The, your on-site staff can see how people are living, how they're interacting with the space, how they're interacting with each other, and they can have that dialogue with them. And I'm, I'm not so much talking about sort of very transaction-oriented, you know, satisfaction kind of listening. I'm, just, I'm talking about much more of a two-way dialogue. What are people thinking? What are they feeling? What are they trying to accomplish in their life? What's enabling them to accomplish those things? What's getting in the way of accomplishing those things? And you very quickly figure out what people's values are, what their priorities are, what their needs, and more importantly, their unmet needs are. And as soon as you recognize people's unmet needs and what they're trying to accomplish, it becomes very obvious where that curve is headed and what we need to do to stay one step ahead. Yeah, Brian, you guys really focus on taking care of your customers, uh, which is so important. And I think builds incredible loyalty for your brand. Because when you take what people need and want and you listen and you care, you know, that matters so much to them and it keeps them lifelong customers, in my opinion. Well, thank you. We definitely see it that way. We aren't a consumable that you buy and throw away, or we aren't a retailer where you might walk into one store one day and one store the next. We're critical service in people's lives. And we have long-term relationships with our customers. We're not looking to just have you for, you know, for a month or six months. <laughs> We're looking to stay in that relationship for many years, which I think is very similar to how the property manager has to look at it. Obviously, some of their residents are transient by nature, but winning looks like long-term relationships, even if they don't stay in the same property, that when they switch properties, they would still switch to you. And that requires preference and loyalty. And preference and loyalty comes from emotional connection. And emotional connection comes from being in a real relationship. And real relationships involve listening and dialogue and understanding and give and take and acting in your customer's interests and recognizing that there's an experience that they're trying to achieve and doing everything you can to give it to them. Well, Brian, you are a very thoughtful individual and I have really enjoyed talking to you. Where does this podcast find you, by the way? Uh, I am in Atlanta, about 
five miles away from Cox's corporate headquarters. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Brian. This has been great. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Brian Stifel for joining us to talk all about the latest industry trends and residents' experience. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening. I'm Bess Friedman, and this has been Open Door, brought to you by Cox Communities. Oh, 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 oh